Hey sis, welcome to Beyond the Military Podcast, where faith-led military women overcome burnout and create more balance. Just imagine having enough time to focus on your faith, family, and have more fun while still serving as a woman leader. In this podcast, you will walk away with the tools to help you navigate the busy life of a military woman, organize your mind, overcome overwhelm, create a prioritization playbook, and a balanced blueprint for integrating faith, family, and career. Yeses in that order. Hi, I'm Wendy Ray, woman of God, wife, mama of two, army veteran, and certified life coach. And I'm here to help you create a life of meaning outside of the military, a life of laughter, joy, and intentional free time. If you are ready to overcome burnout and create balance as a faith-led military woman, sis, this podcast is for you. So loosen up your laces and grab your coffee because it's time to step into freedom and peace. Hello, ladies, and welcome to episode 179. I am so excited to be here with you. If you're watching this on YouTube, you already see that I have a special guest. But if you're tuning in from just from your car, from your home, or maybe even from your office, you can find this video in the show notes at a later time. But I do have a guest today, and I'm really excited to share with you not only a little bit more about Matthew Wise, but also on what he has been working on and really what inspired him to not only write this book, but really come on this platform and many other platforms to not only share this message, but to also improve our um, recruiting um, process that we have going on now, especially with a new generation. So with that, I want to introduce Matthew Wise. Welcome and please introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, Wendy, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm Second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss. I'm uh, very junior, just joined the Marine Corps a year and a half ago. Um, and very proudly, I'm a member of Generation Z. Uh, so over the past year or so, uh, because I was so recently recruited into the military, I embarked on a project where I did a bunch of research and uh, wrote a book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam. That's basically analyzing and then trying to come up with some solutions about the military recruitment crisis that we're seeing now with Generation Z. So I figured who better to write about Generation Z than someone actually born in America's youngest generation. And uh, that's where I am today. Yeah, no, I love it. And first, I want to say, you know, thank you for your service. And I know that this is something that you've, like you mentioned, it's a project that you kind of took upon yourself. And that's very typical of um, not only young officers, but also you're a Marine. And, you know, I want to thank you for that. And I also want to, you know, ask, you know, we don't want you, Uncle Sam. Like, that's such a catchy title. Where did that come from? Yeah, I, I definitely did a lot of uh, creative brainstorming for it. But, you know, the most famous recruiting poster and recruiting slogan in American military history is uh the picture of Uncle Sam it was a World War One poster, that famous one where he's grimacing and he's sort of pointing and saying, I want you for U.S. Army. Um, and unfortunately, if you look at the state of affairs today and um, all news outlets reporting, Generation Z, the current recruitable um, generation for the military, is, is rejecting that, right? Where, where our numbers are lower than ever, our recruiting crisis is, is bigger and deeper than ever. So I sort of looked at it and said, well, we're sort of saying we don't want you, Uncle Sam. And that became uh, the hopefully catchy mm -hmm. slogan or the title. Of yeah. Where it came from. Yeah. 
You know, and I think this is very interesting because, and, and I know typically just to give um, our listeners a background on how we kind of met and, you know, um, why I also was really um, excited to have you to share this because one, um, we met through, I believe it was um, LinkedIn, just email kind of um, small talk conversation. And when you shared with me, we don't want you, Uncle Sam, that's really what grabbed my attention. Um, not only, like you mentioned, the recruiting crisis within the military um, services, but also just across any other occupation, right? Like everyone um, is really looking into, especially Gen Z, on where they really want to start a career, like where they want to um, begin that next chapter of their lives, because it's very important once you leave home, once you graduate, um, you know, what is it that I want to do, right? It's a question that everyone has as you're evolving and you're going into adulthood. And so, you know, this um, topic, this title really resonates with me too, because one, I, I'm not Gen Z, but as I am looking into the Gen Z as my kids are growing up and everything else, you know, it really just, um, it, it really hit home for me because also at the time, while you or I were having a conversation um, one of my clients, she's a recruiter from New York City. And so this is a conversation that she and I had um, when we were um, working together regarding, you know, her job and how, you know, it's become very difficult to have conversations with Gen Z, the Gen Z community. And so before we go any further, too, um, let's clarify the Gen Z, because I, I don't know if everyone, I'm pretty sure most of us know what Gen Z is, but what would you say, like the dates, what would classify the Gen Z community? Absolutely. Great question. So uh, Pew Research defines generations based on specific years. So the technical term for Generation Z is those born between 1998 and 2012. Um, when I was doing the research and, and when you analyze something as large as a generation, there's no you know, defined cutoff this year versus that year. Someone born in 1997 is pretty similar to someone born in 1998, even though one's a millennial yeah. and one's a Gen Zer. But the better way to look at it is, based on those cutoffs roughly, there's definitely a large difference if you look at someone born in 1995 and 2002. So for example, my brother, right, six years younger than me, yeah. that core middle of Generation Z years is completely different than some of my friends who graduated high school a few years older than me. And that's where you start to see there are generational characteristics, generational interests and trends mm -hmm. that actually define what we would call a millennial, what we would call a boomer, what we would call a Gen Zer. And that's what I really dug into. And um, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into certain parts of the book in a little, but one of the baselines was understanding, you know, what is our generation? What is this new generation Gen Z? Yeah. And like you said, recruiters and companies all across the country are trying to understand this. Specifically, the military needs to take a step back yeah. and start with that question saying, who is this new generation? How do we understand this? Because that's step one. If you don't understand who you're recruiting, then you're, you're finished before you even begin. So that's like literally step one, understanding what is Gen Z? What drives this characteristic of people born roughly between those years of 98? Yeah. No, you're right. Because in order for you to recruit, you need to know, you know, what 
they're looking for, right? Because then you can not only sell them on that dream or also um, those opportunities because the reason I signed up is completely different, I'm sure, for the reason that you signed up. And, you know, not to say that there are any of the reasons are better or, you know, um, taken away from, but at the same time, things were different back um, 10 years ago. And this was in 2007. So, I mean, it's really been more than 10 years ago, right? So it's a different language, a different way you approach um, the younger community now. And so now for you and for everyone listening, you're probably thinking, well, how is this really even important for me? You know, I'm a, I'm a female veteran. You know, how is this going to affect the future female um, recruits? Absolutely. So I think there's, there's three ways that, uh, that I can answer this and, and I'll jump into all three. Feel free to cut me off because I am known to like to talk. So, so the first is from any, any veteran, female, male, mother, father, you know, those with kids that are coming up uh, through school now, understanding that the generation is, is interesting, right? So if we start with that, and that's sort of the whole first part of the book, it's, it's saying, okay, so who are these Gen Zers? And one of the best ways to do that besides talking to them and reading some of these statistical research polls is understanding the larger events that, uh, that happened in their life. So for example, one of the, the key contradictions that I bring out, or one of the key, I think, misconceptions people have is that uh, Gen Z is the everyone gets a trophy generation. And that's actually false. So we, we've heard, always heard this trope in America, you know, we're becoming soft and everyone gets a trophy nowadays. And while that may have held true for some of the millennial generations and uh, some of those in, in the millennial generation, they grew up in the 90s, really good times, everything positive that sort of held true. Z was bordered by some rather interesting world events. We're too young to remember 9-11. 9-11 didn't really impact us uh, in, our, in our living memories, and most of us weren't, mm-hmm. Gen Z weren't born for it. But we were born and sort of initially raised in a major Great Recession, right? The Great Financial Crisis that happened. We had an extremely divisive election happened right during our formative educational years. And then that was bookended by COVID. So, you know, three major world events that Mm -hmm. sort of shaped our generation to be much more pragmatic, much more uh, desire to protect that sort of what we have because we're entering sort of an unstable period, an unstable world. And contrary to everyone gets a trophy, we're actually a very competitive generation. We grew up with social media. We grew up with likes for better or for worse on Instagram and Facebook, literally from day one, we know like life is a competition in some ways and we are very much competing. Hey, he has more likes, she's more likes, whatever. So we're a little bit different uh, than I think what people like to give us a rap for. Um, so that that's part one uh, of, of who is the generation and how does that affect female veterans and those with kids coming up? Um, part Two, and I think I, I would like to just delve in and lead off with, you know, there's 21 chapters in the book and they each del- talk about sort of a specific issue or specific, um, um, you know, a way to solve that issue. Um, so specifically for, for female veterans, mm-hmm. I'll start with that and then I'll do females uh, in general. But for female veterans, so I think uh, one of the chapters that I talk about 
is is specifically how veterans play a role in solving this recruiting crisis. And what we're seeing in recruiting is, again, massive issues in recruiting, lowest numbers we've had in the 50 years of the all-volunteer force started in 1973. And so a lot of the veterans that served in the Iraq-Afghanistan wars who are now out in, in the world have a, have a choice to make. And that, and that choice is, how do I... Uh, Either A, continue to give back to the institution, B, you know, not interact with the institution at all, or C, you know, I've yet to make up my mind. And so chapter four, I, I titled it sort of enabling veterans to continue to serve. And I think that veterans in particular are the key group, if not the most important uh, group that will be able to influence the, this future recruiting crisis and actually getting people potentially into uniform or not based on how they share their past experiences. So one of the things I sort of call for is that, you know, veterans need to be honest, right? There, there was a lot of uh, pain, trauma, difficulty that happened via the Iraq and Afghanistan times. And Gen Z is desiring that transparency, right? There's some of these tropes that, oh, we don't know if recruiters are telling us the truth or not, et cetera. But, but veterans have that key story to tell and that key good, bad, and ugly that needs to be delivered that Gen Z really likes, right? Z likes realism. And so veterans are the key yeah. to understanding that realism. So to all, all your, your, your listeners who are, who are veterans, right, there's really that understanding that one of the best ways they can continue to serve the institution that either gave them a lot or, or you know, it certainly impacted their lives is to be a voice to the future Gen Zers, but not to be a, you know, a foolish voice saying the military is great. Everything about it is perfect, but just be that real voice saying, hey, here's the good, the bad, the ugly. Let me yeah. give you the information you need um, and let you uh, let you sort of make a decision or ask me questions about that yourself. So that that's a specific message to veterans because they do play a huge part in this recruiting crisis. They're, they're the front line of this crisis in many ways. Um, I never just spoke for a lot. I, 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 you can jump in or I could jump right to chapter 18, which is specifically about sort of females and some of the thinking there. Yeah. And, and before you go into that chapter, which again, I appreciate the detail and everything that you're sharing here because it brings up a great point when you mentioned, um, you know, sharing or letting that potential recruit believe that everything is great in the military, right? Like not being fully transparent really hurts them in the long run. And it really hurts everyone in the long run because I think now, especially with Gen Z, what I've noticed, and I will say um, this generation has more courage than any, you know, than the generation before, let's just say. We're very, um, you guys are very vocal and want to take action based on what you believe in that moment, right? So for for our generation, we were kind of like in the, in the uh, middle of social media, like, kind of like taking off. So we didn't really know everything that was actually happening because video wasn't really a thing, you know, reels or TikTok. Now you can find the most recent news through TikTok. That's literally how my kids um, get their their news. They anything sports related, anything that's happening in our area. They're like, oh, this is what's happening because of this fifty second video. And so with that, they're like encouraged to to say what they think and how they feel. And so now understanding that this is how Gen Z not only, I don't want to say um, takes action, but 
really um, digest or processes new things, then we should really be honest and transparent because, I mean, you're a great example, right? You're completely new to the military and you're like, well, here's the things that I've noticed already where, you know, I'm not getting much clarity or one of the reasons maybe I didn't sign up or I didn't, you know, come into the to the Marines and you're now taking action. You're you're talking about this. You are you've pretty much are publishing a book here in the next week or so. August 11th is when this book drops. And so you wasted no time in putting this into into writing. And so, again, it says a lot about Gen Z. And so for all my recruiters out there, especially if you're in an area when you're and you're pretty much exhausted and overwhelmed with how do you communicate with Gen Z, I want to really invite you to not only check out more on this recruiting crisis that we're having for the Gen Z generation, because I would assume everyone's wanting to recruit the the, the Gen Z generation at the moment, right? We're not looking at the millennials because there's a certain cutoff date for, for your age. And so I really want to invite you to check this out and really learn more on what that's happening, because the more you can equip yourself with the tools and understanding, and then even more so, ask those questions when you're out there, you know, with, with, the, young, with the young people, with the young ladies, with the young guys, and maybe even asking your, your kids, because I have a lot of um, female veterans that are now actually one of my friends, she's in Texas, she just sent off two of her kids, one in the Air Force and one in the Army to the military, well, um, within two years. But again, these are the questions that you want to have more clarification on, especially if you are a recruiter or if you're a mother of kids that are possibly thinking about joining the military, or maybe they don't know what they want to do. But this is also an opportunity for you to explore that, right? And so, Matthew, thank you so much for clarifying on that and, um, and, and really giving us that insight on um, like you mentioned, you know, we want the truth. We want full transparency yeah. because if you don't, yeah. they'll be honest and post it on TikTok or any other social media and say, it, it, my recruiter exactly. lied to me, which when I was. Exactly. Yeah. When I was coming through, it was it was a joke. But now it's like reality. Like this is something serious. Yep. I'll give you a great uh, a great analogy. So. Do you know who uh, who doesn't get scammed by online uh, ads? Gen Z. Do you know who does get scammed? You know, my grandmother or the older generations that are new to tech, right? So, and he here's what I mean by that, right? We we are so technologically savvy and we grew up so good at it, right? Remember, the, the child brain learns faster than the adult brain, right? The fact that we literally were basically, you know, from birth, given an iPhone and, you know, able to click around on apps. We know instantly when an ad is is real, when it's not. We understand that like they're li the the devices listen to us, and if you talk about popcorn and then you see a popcorn ad, you know there's some voice recognition there. And so I'd argue because of that, we're intuitively trained. You know, my my grandma not so much; she's always clicking on the wrong links and stuff, right? But my but we're intuitively trained to understand when we're being sold to. Right? We're much, much more tuned. We know when that's going on because of that tech connection. And so one of the, the arguments that I think is important to recruiters, whether military recruiters or corporate recruiters, whatever, whatever type is, is moving more, less from a traditional sales pitch, right? And more to a mentorship, coaching and guidance. 
change, right? Because that is what Generation Z is seeking mm-hmm. in this ever-changing, very fast-changing world, looking for, for mentorship and guidance, but very much instantly averse to sales, right? Like we, we know, like, you know, we almost have a thing when you click on Google, those first two links are sales links. Like we're not going to click on that. We, we just get it, right? So we're attuned to, oh, someone's talking. They're really trying to sell me something. And we instantly shut that out, right? So yeah. just as a generation, we understand that. Um, I think an interesting point, and you talk a lot about, uh, you talk about your friend that has, you know, two kids going into military, um, is, is the, the role that parents play in the, the military recruiting crisis specifically. Uh, and for, for all your veteran parents out there, uh, as they look at their children, as their children are now getting of that age where they're starting to think of their own careers, maybe some of them are a little bit before that, but they're certainly, maybe they're entering high school and starting just maybe to get to that age as their Gen Z kids are maturing. Uh, so an interesting data point, right, is um, that the number one indicator for someone to join the military, what we call propensity, like all the academic studies, the propensity to join is having some close family relative that was a veteran or that served in the military. That's the number one indicator. So it's much, so in many ways, the military has in the all-volunteer force time period become very much like a family business, right? And there's a lot of implications for that. One of the chapters talks about why we need to make sure it doesn't ever just become a small family business, that it you know, really becomes something that all types of people from all across the country join. Um, but one of the important things, and there was just a Wall Street Journal article released last week, is that a lot of parents who are veterans are now telling their kids not to join and what impact that has mm. and why that's occurring and how that's in the crisis and how much of an issue that is. Um, and why we need to, again, really start talking about these issues, about recruiting and how to make the military the best place possible for our Gen Z children. Um, because if you lose that group, right, you're, you're, you're finished, right? If, if, if your viewers, if your veteran parents yeah. out there begin mass to feel that the military is not the best path for them, that it's not going to provide them that leadership, connectivity, future growth that it traditionally has, then, then, then we're finished. Then you lose the biggest group of possible. Um, and so, yeah. again, having these conversations with them and them specifically speaking to them here right now, having those conversations with your Gen Z, Z, Z children about the good, the bad, the ugly, and also analyzing where the institution is going is crucial to being able to, to keep that core contingent uh, still interested in or propense to join the military. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's a great point because especially if, we are, as parents, looking at the military in a way um, based on our experience, on how we experienced the military, you know, 10, 20 years before your child even gets to even experience, then we're also not helping because we don't know how much the military has evolved now. And I know that it has even since I got out, and this is going to be, I think, five years now, what year are we in 23? Actually, six years this year. It's been five years that I got out. And it has changed a lot. I mean, from five years, five years ago, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you, you know, what the challenges were. But today, the challenges are a little different. And so with that, you know, um, like you mentioned to the um, sharing the experiences and how to really communicate with our kids, especially if that's something that they're looking forward to, or maybe they don't know. I think it, um, one of the topics or the things that you mentioned, you know, they, they're looking for mentorship, coaching, some guidance. 
you know, linking them up with someone that's um, probably closer to their age that's already in the service or um, connecting them with the recruiter that actually understands the Gen Z community. And, you know, I, the great point that or the biggest takeaway that I'm taking here is really being real and honest and transparent with Gen Z. It's just, I think, the bottom line. And now, question for you, Matthew, like, what is your really goal from not only sharing all your um, insights and research that you've done on this book, but what's ultimately your goal, you know, for the next coming years? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question that uh, that sometimes when I look at the uh, the cost of actually writing a book, it's it, yeah, I laugh because you, you you'll never make the money back, right? There's, <laughs> there's, you'll never turn a profit on this. Why did I do this? Um, no, I, I'll tell you specifically why. Um, you know, as the yeah. recruiting crisis has deepened, I've seen all bo- both sides of the aisle, both news t- types of news stations, uh, continuously have segments about these issues. And they usually sort of sound by these segments and, you know, one political side says this is the reason and one another political side says this is the reason. Um, but every time on those panels on, on television, it's always some very senior high ranking general or admiral or some war vet hero who, again, ha- I have full respect for. These, these are great established military service members. I'm, I'm not denigrating that, but they're they're old and they're the ones talking about the recruiting crisis. And I, I couldn't understand. I was like, wait. Those people legitimately were recruited 20 to 30 years ago, right? The world has drastically changed. They, they know very little about the current struggles and day-to-day of the generation. Like, there's no way that someone that old understands what my, again, younger brother in high school does every day on his Instagram or, or you know, his social media. Like, that, there's a disconnect. Yeah. So I was looking at that, and I, I basically said, this is, this, you know, this change that we, we're all calling for, solving this recruiting crisis, has to come from a voice on the ground, or it has to be analyzed at least by someone who's literally in that Gen Z generation who just went through it. So I, I felt that I was uniquely positioned at this short moment in my life and in time to be able to say, wait, I just was recruited. I am a member of Gen Z. I spent a little bit of time in the military now. Let me put all those things together. And let's have this conversation. So really my goal, truthfully, bottom more than anything, is to have this conversation as many times as possible with as many decision makers, veterans, current service members as possible to better our institution. I don't claim to have all the right ideas. I I joke in the book, like, I hope half these ideas piss half the people off and half them piss the other half people off. And everyone's arguing positively (laughs) over these ideas. Like, they're written, yeah. you know, very much down the middle, and I hope people agree with half of them and disagree with half of them. Right? The point is, we need to have these conversations, but they need to be through the scope and lens of someone who actually understands Gen Z. It can't be some super senior ranking person in the Pentagon, even though that person will be the one that makes the ultimate decision. They're not doing the ground analysis, right? The the ground right. analysis, just like we see in the military, right? Distributed um, uh, leadership, right? Um, that, that that's the best way to do it, right? The, the the Lance Corporal, you know, on the front line knows best, right? Like in, in the end of the day, like we, I felt that I had to be the one to speak up these issues and I want to have these conversations about this, so. Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing because 
again, if we don't talk about it or we don't get interest from the decision makers and nothing's going to happen. Right. And again, going back to your generation, this is exactly what I've been noticing, um, not only through just social media platforms, but really just connecting and engaging with the younger community on, you know, it's just impressive to me on, you know, the the type of action that you guys are taking. And I think that that's, it can be intimidating, um, you know, to the older community, right, for my generation, because I'm like, well, this kid is only 14 years old. Why is he, you know, already so far ahead of his age or, you know, 20, 21, right? And it's it's something that I think um, we're slowly but surely catching on that this is just how you grew up into, right? Like this is what you learned at a very young age. Like you said, you were one, a one-year-old with an iPhone already doing FaceTime and social media as you're growing up and, and, you know, school, COVID happened. I mean, all of these major world um, changes that have been happening impacts um, is really also impacting how you are evolving, right? And what you want. I mean, you guys are very honest with what you want. And not only that, but then you immediately take action. And I think that that's very impressive being that, you know, um, we didn't have these tools, you know, back in the day. But then again, there were other challenges. And even now, right, here are the challenges that we're facing with recruiting, with um, how do we then, you know, foster a new environment or a new culture within the military services. And you know, this goes across the board, not just the Marines, not just the Air Force, not just the Army and not just for women, but just across the board. Right. Like, how do we then foster a better culture for females in uniform, like you mentioned in Chapter 18? And, you know, I love that one of the um, solutions um, that you mentioned here is to establish the HER initiative by honoring gender differences, eradicating sexual assault and relaxing female specific social constraints like that is spot on and if you'd like to elaborate a little bit on on that feel free to do so I think it's just something that we need to really understand and like you mentioned it's not just in the military it's also across the board like even in corporate right really understanding and honoring the gender differences yeah so so chapter 18 I would I would love to dive into super important key one of the key chapters of the book um, it comes in the final section. So the last section of the book is sort of um, how the military as a whole can give back to society, right? And and how Generation Z and all Americans are going to look to the military about, you know, new value propositions in the 21st century. Um, so before I begin, a necessary disclaimer, an important part, right, is is writing as, as a male in the military, right? And, and males are the predominant... Um, gender in the military, right? Uh, I, I needed a lot of female support and a lot of female insight. I spoke to a lot of my female uh, lieutenant friends, a lot of uh, enlisted females and female veterans to understand their own unique journeys and struggles in the military, right? So in many ways, you know, here is sort of this outside voice opining on, you know, the place of women in the military. I understand the my own biases and my own you know, shortcomings when, when dealing with that. At the same time, I actually believe by sort of being outside of that and just observing unique struggles that females have in the military, um, while not being a female myself, 
I also provide an interesting sort of lens to analyze it with, right? So one of the things, and I'll go in specifically looking at, you know, from a macro level is the single largest group, the single largest group that the military can do a better job with recruiting from are females, right? They make up half the population. They make up close now to almost half the workforce. Numbers of female participation in the larger American labor force are increasing year over year. Their college participation rates are surpassing that of males almost, almost across the board now, right? So the fact that the military is still an institution that's predominantly male, so skewed in the male direction, um, that this is certainly the largest by number uh, group of talent that the military should and can recruit from uh, to increase its numbers and boost its numbers, right? So that, that's the first thing, right? Like female recruitment is huge, right? In terms of growth areas, this, this, is, this is the way to go. At the same time, not alienating, right? Traditional male military member. There, there's, you know, one of the things that people are always wanting is like a simple solution that solves all problems. Like every single one of these problems and issues has yeah. two sides and two, two analysis that has to be taken into account. So I'm not calling for, you know, because the military today is 70% or 80% male and 20% female, it should be 50% and 50% or it should be, you know, 80% female and 20%. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm just simply saying the females are a massive group that can be and should be recruited from and the military needs to do a better job to appealing to females. Right. And so again, I, I like to go back to the core to my family. I, I have a sister, uh, me impressive, super athletic, smart, extremely successful, uh, and, and just analyzing her own Gen Z experience as a female and why the military wasn't even a question for her, right. She didn't even consider it, you know? And so just looking at her development in life and understanding, okay, why, you know, did she not even think about the military here, right? And uh, understanding that. And so three things really came to mind. Um, and, and that's the HER initiative. I, uh, you know, I, I don't love using acronyms, but the three things that I sort of talk about actually fit the HER pretty well. Uh, and so the first is honoring gender differences. So, so what I have to say about, about this one, just looking, is, you know, what's the, the, the majority group of females and, and how are you going to appeal to, to that majority here, right? And so there's been a massive push in modern times um, to, you know, the first female that has graduated infantry school, the first female that's graduated special forces, right? And those are unbelievable achievements and super impressive. And by, by all means, there will be more and continuous growth in that area. That being, and I, and I champion that and support that. That being said, the majority of females in the United States that you're going to recruit from are not looking to become infantry soldiers or Marines or join special forces. That, that's just not their appeal. That's not the main driver for a female joining the military, right? A certainly large group, 100% potentially, but not the majority of females, right? And so we have to understand that, that there are some different appeals between the, the large majority of males and the large majority of females, right? Um, and we have to accept that. So there's all this fascination with that, like very small percentage that, that look special forces. But I think that's to the detriment of the larger majority of saying, hey, listen, the military has a lot of different things it can offer. You know, don't just think of it as running into buildings with rifles and, you know, becoming a special forces operator, right? That That's yeah. really not 99% of the military experience. And that's not what should be pitched to young females across the country who are saying, hey, this could be an interesting you know, path for me. 
uh, you know, we have to make sure that we're not just focused on the what I could call the the super uh, fleshy headline or the super exciting part. And, you know, pitch the, the larger part. Okay, so what are some areas that females do better than men in, or or, or females are are super inclined to go into it? How can we pitch that? So that's a gender difference that I think is important. Yeah. Um, two is an obvious one, uh, but it you know particularly is bad in the military and it needs to be dealt with in an extremely important way. We saw the horrible uh, story of Vanessa Guillen, but the eradicating sexual yeah. assault, you know, it, it is a no stop. You're never going to have parity female recruitment or, or get, you know, a, a large increase in female recruitment if the military is viewed as a place that's unsafe for our American females. That, that, that's that, that, that it's, it's unacceptable. It's, it's a huge issue. It's, it's, um, not even numbers themselves that are unfortunately in some reports are increasing, right? Which is, which is again, inexcusable, bad perception, even more so the fact that if American parents don't want their, their daughters going into the military because of the potential for sexual assault or because it's perceived as a place where sexual assault happens you're, or, or, or uh, sexual abuse happens, you're never going to be able to make massive dents with the large majority of female population. So, Again, super thorny, very difficult issue. A lot of potential proposed solutions for how to deal with it. I don't have one, you know, we're going to do this and eradicate sexual assault. But to, again, have this conversation of how important it is that we change the perception and the actual numbers uh, to show that the military is a safe place for females and, you know, sexual assault numbers are decreasing and, and, and actually, you know, successfully make numbers decrease. That is a huge, huge important. Uh, thing yeah. and then the the third is um, relaxing female specific social constraints. So this one is a little more nuanced and goes into you know some of the tactics, right? But you know, military has very specific regulations on hair and tattoos and uh, fingernail length and polish and and some that are very specific to females. And this goes into the broader discussion of you know standards and can we relax them? You know, appearance standards and whatever and. And this one, again, without giving a specific one that, you know, I'm talking about, it's sort of just the general trend is the military needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror yeah. and understand with some of these appearance constraints or some of these specific, often gender specific constraints, is this benefiting the force or is this hurting the force? Is this growing or is this uh, negating? Right. So and, and that's uh, another area that has to really be reexamined. And, and we've seen some progress or we've seen some some relaxing of certain um, restrictions that didn't have yeah. any actual combat effectiveness. Again, like I'm not calling for relaxations, relaxing, uh, relaxations of, of standards that are directly tied to, to combat effectiveness and lethality of the force, but there are on the edge, definitely some of these older regulations that just haven't been looked at in many years. I think that, you know, with the right people sitting yeah. down with the right minds, you could say, Hey, you know, we could probably change that which would probably increase our culture, which would probably get better people into our institution. And that would probably make us more combat effective and lethal. And so those are three, the, the way I couch that yeah. chapter, and obviously there's specifics in the chapter, uh, but that's how I sort of couch chapter 18. That's specifically directed towards the military's impact on females, the female's impact on the military, and how we can uh, boost recruitment with uh, females in the U.S. as America. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I love one that you created an acronym. Of course, it's the right thing to do as military, right? That's what we do all day. We create acronyms exactly. for everything <laughs> to remember. So many acronyms. I think this one, 
you know, is a good one. Yeah, I mean, it like you mentioned, I mean, those are our three point three great points. And I'm sure there are many more that we could, you know, think about. Um, and I just love how you, you know, really started and kicked off with, you know, acknowledging that you did reach out to other, you know, female veteran friends or even um, possibly anyone that you went to to school um, in your unit. And it really just helps understand, you know, where we're going, right? Where where we want to go and how we need everything else to be looked at, updated, because it's it's the truth. Like a lot of um a lot of women specifically, and I'm, you know, speaking for myself here, we kind of lose that sense of identity because we're so um focused on trying to look like everyone else. And I'm not saying that it takes away from your feminism or anything of like that sort, but what I'm saying is that as we are then thinking about the transition, we then forget that it's not just the uniform, right? We forget that there's other things that come into play, right? Like we're going to have to also, you know, um, identify in a, in a different way, like in a um, um, physically, right? Now we actually are able to wear our hair however we want. We can actually get our nails done now. We can actually wear makeup. And how are we going to do that? So, like, that's a whole nother, you know, identity um, transition that we're going through in this at the same time, figuring out exactly, you know, how we're going to show up. Right. We don't want to show up, um, you know, and, and become this like person that just wants to take control. Right. Because that's the, that's what they tell us in the military. When you're in control, take control. When you're in charge, take charge. And so how are we, you know, doing that? or transitioning into that civilian sector in that way, right? So it's kind of like a, an identity shift that at least I noticed for me, understanding that, okay, now I can let my hair down, meaning my personality can come out too. And also I can just be me, right? Like really just allowing myself to be this caring, this emotional human being that I am without having any, um, you know, consequences or being you know, judge in a different way. And so I think that that's um, really, you know, um, very important, you know, honoring gender differences, right? Everyone doesn't have to act the same, doesn't have to look the same at every single point in time. Like you mentioned, of course, there's going to be regulations and um, standards that we need to meet for certain things, but not everything. And so I do appreciate you, you know, talking about that in and Matthew, I think, I mean, every chapter, um, as you mentioned, the three parts are, are very interesting. I cannot wait for this to drop because I'm definitely getting me a copy and really learning more, too, on how this is evolving. And really, like you said, your goal, you know, getting this in front of the decision makers and making sure that we are continuing to recruit more leaders, because that's really one of the reasons why I continue to support the military, because one, it's... I, it, it's not only a privilege to serve, but also to continue with our freedom, right? And we're the ones that continue to to serve. And this is something that I, I know a lot of us um, take near and dear to the heart because we want more people to serve, especially Gen Z, especially the younger community. And even, you know, as as more as we evolve and grow, we want that recruiting to continue. Absolutely. And I think, you know, an important point is, is again, to, to 
and this is really the mission is to be able to have these very challenging, sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes painful conversations around all of these issues in the goal and in, in the same vein of, of actually improving the institution, right? So people ask, a lot of people have been asking, you know, so, so what's your view? Are, are, are we finished? Are we in trouble, right? And I say, no, I'm actually pretty cautiously optimistic about our military, about our country's future. Um, but I definitely think that there is certainly a, um, an issue here, right? There, like th there is a recruiting crisis that if we don't do anything and we just say, oh, whatever, we're going to start to face um, staggeringly low numbers. And, and, and we, you know, that's bad for, for everyone. You know, we have to go into what that really means, force posture around, around yeah. um, the world. So, so what I'm calling for, right, again, is having these really tough, difficult conversations, right? There's, there's so much fear now of saying the wrong thing and this whole, I'm going to be canceled or I'm going to say something that bothers this political party or that political party. And that's, that's really, in this chapter 14 right. is about sort of keeping politics out of the military. That, that can't be the way forward. We have to be able to have these painful, uncomfortable, difficult conversations, right? It is hard, right? As a, as a, you know, as, as a male to have some of these female specific conversations, right? Cause I, I don't know the things, but I'm not afraid to sit down, have conversations, offer my perspective, hear other perspective, um, and, and, and grow towards a, a better, more holistic solution for all of us. And that goes for female conversations. That goes for other conversations, different groups, different ideas, politics, name it, whatever the social issue or cultural issue or, or political issue is. We need to get back to a point where we're comfortable having these difficult conversations that yeah. actually push us towards finding real solutions to better our institution, right? Because I do believe our institution is the best in the world, obviously the best military in the world, but one of the best institutions we have in the yeah. country for a multitude of reasons. I think that if we continue to progress it, continue to grow it, we're not afraid we can continue to make it a place that Gen Z wants to be in. And we can continue to make it a place that gives all the values and benefits that's historically given the country and the people that have joined it specifically, right? A lot of veterans will say it's the best thing they ever did in their lives, right? And I think if we have these conversations now and push, there, there will be a time, hopefully, in five, 10 years where Gen Z is really excited to join the military. We don't have a recruiting crisis. We have a recruiting surge. You know, I always say like, you know, think of the most popular companies in the world that, you know, have such high recruiting standards, they have to turn applicants away. Like, you know, there was a point in time when Google, you know, was accepting like 1% of applicants because yeah. of how many people wanted to work there, right? Well, can we, can we ever get to that level? Maybe not, but can we get to the point where the military is so desired that everyone's talking about potentially joining it? It's on everyone's mind, yeah. you know, at least their potential career options, and then it gets filtered down to the best people possible actually joining the institution. Right? I'm not calling for you know, everyone joining the institution. We don't necessarily have to grow size. We have to be able to maintain our size and, and get the best people possible. So it starts with having these conversations, being able to talk about them, not being afraid, um, and, and, and having you know mutual understanding that we're all trying to work towards a better solution to, to make this really an appealing place for Generation Z. Yeah, no, I agree. And you hit spot on on making it desirable. I think that that's something that we really need to work towards because it, it's it's a great, it, it really has been the best experience of my life. And 
Um, that's something that no one could ever take away from me. You know, that experience, that leadership opportunity. And it really just makes huge, a huge difference when, you know, I'm working, you know, in corporate or when I am just really in any other um, organization, right? People know that I'm a veteran and they know because of how I show up and they know that that's something that I, you know, it, yes, it was an obligation or responsibility, but ultimately it was my commitment. And that's really, you know, loyalty, service, all of that. We continue to sprinkle, you know, along the way, along our journey. And so I think it's beneficial to everyone, even if, you know, unfortunately you didn't have the best experience or maybe you didn't, it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out, right? Some, some of us um, get out willingly and some of us are told to leave because of a medical situation whatever it may be. And some of you may be retired. And we know that most of the time that we were in, yes, it was, it was hard, challenging moments. I think we learned the most, but at the end of the day, it will be always like the best experience. Um, and really the, the more that we can continue to serve in a way where we're talking about this, sharing this information, reading about it, talking about it with our kids or our family's kids, because that's another thing. I had a conversation with one of my friend's um, uh, child regarding the military. You know, she's not a veteran. Father's not a veteran, but I'm a veteran. And so, again, having those conversations and, and being OK with sharing your experience, um, positive or negative, but it will be in, in a helpful way to, to help shape our not only um, our recruiting um, process, but also the leaders that are, are to come. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with everything you said. Uh, and, and I think especially us veterans, right? Especially I'm not a veteran yet. I'm still active, right? Especially veterans and especially those active, we care about the institution <laughs> and because we care, we have a duty to it. We want to see yeah. it succeed. We want to see it grow, right? We, we, we want it to be the place that, again, Gen Z wants to join, right? We want it to be a successful, thriving organization yeah. that isn't, you know, struggling. Right? And the, the Army last year, right, 15,000 people short of its recruiting goal. That's a division and a half, roughly. of That's huge, right? This is seriously dangerous numbers. Yeah. It's, it's predicted this year that the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force will all miss their recruiting goal by thousands of people, right? And And... And that's a sad yeah. state of affairs. We don't want that to be like that, right? You know, gone are the days, you know, back in right. the, you know, the draft yeah. and World War II. But there was a time in World War II where people were furious if they were unable to join the military, right? Going so far as, you know, some crazy things mm -hmm. if, if they couldn't be allowed, given the opportunity to serve. And unfortunately, now that's not the case. Um, there's a great quote, you know, you join the military, you give up rights and privileges to take on duties and responsibilities. Um, giving up rights and privileges, yeah, to take on duties and responsibilities, uh, which is something that, yeah, again, is an amazing honor and amazing, amazing ability to have an organization that lets you go through that because it's such an important life learning lesson. Um, but again, all of us do care. And I think that together, if we have these conversations, we push them up to the right people and we discuss and we discuss them with yeah. both all those at the top and all those at the bottom, meaning all those 18 year olds in high school, um, we can we can yeah. push the generation positively towards service. So, yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate this. This was uh, really awesome.
Really great discussion. Of Thank course, you so much for having Matthew. me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I know you and I could probably talk like the whole day. There's like a total, I believe, of like 21 chapters. And we literally only hit on yep. like two. And so I highly recommend if you're yep. tuning in, I'm telling you these topics um, are very interesting. And I want to invite you to purchase Matthew's book. It's coming out August 11th. This episode is actually going to publish um, the Wednesday after that. I believe it's the 16th. So you'll when you listen to this episode, you'll be able to go purchase your copy. And Matthew, can you share with us, and it will also be in the show notes, where they can find a copy of this book? Uh, absolutely. So so the book website is www.unclesambook.org. Uh, um, and if you click on the website, it takes you to an Amazon page, or you can just type in, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam by Matthew Weiss and Amazon. It's a regular Amazon book buy. Um, so either of those two ways, Amazon or or the book site to then link to Amazon. Yeah, that's that's the way to get it. Uh, Kindle, uh, Kindle and and print, and uh, would love for for this to be shared with as many people as possible, so we continue to have these conversations and uh, hear some of these ideas. Absolutely, thank you, Matthew, again, and please go follow him on social media as well. As I mentioned, everything will be in the show notes. So I really hope that. You get the copy and that you share this, especially if you're a recruiter or you have children that are thinking about the military. All right, ladies, I hope that this episode not only encourages you to continue to share your story, but also to encourage others to continue with the mission. All right. Have a beautiful rest of your week. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, lady, if this podcast helped you, challenged you or inspired you in some way, please leave me a written review for the show on Apple Podcasts and share it with another military sister helping you integrate balance, prioritization, and growth in your relationship with God is my ultimate calling. I'm so blessed that you are here. And please join us in the Faith-Led Military Women community on Facebook at bit.ly forward slash beyond the military GRP. Again, it is bit.ly beyond the military GRP. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.